You're watching ODNN, One Day in News Network. The only network where we spend six hours a day, every single day, firing Anthony Grant. Welcome to uh, welcome to one one day one day in one day in news network. I am Rugburn here, and I am here to to break down this game, this 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 loss by St. Joe. The day, and I don't even know. I can't even see. My eyes are so red right now. We the, the Flyers, they, they they lost to St. Joe's. I don't I don't know how this happened. Or the, the Frogs, gay. I don't I don't even know. I, I, I I'm joined here by Tully. And Tully, what, what, what do you make of this performance? I've got news for St. Joseph's. They do not run the show, and they do not run the heavens, and they don't even run humanity. And everything St. Joe's built against us is going to be used against them, and it's going to be directly responsible for their downfall. And that is why they hate Dayton, because they know that we speak the truth. And, and, and you, that this, this flesh isn't pure, but my spirit is, and the Dayton spirit is. And that means, I, I mean everything I say. I see you, St. Joe's, every horrible part of you, every horrible part of the hawk, every facet, every surface, every little deep thought. I see you. Now, I want to ask you something, Tully. My my good friend, really close personal friend, we, we, we hang out at each other on the weekends. We, we go, uh, we go sailing and sometimes uh go to farmer's markets uh, 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 what? what was sewer. that there uh, a little a little vampire pot-bellied goblins are all hop- hobbling around us look get get rid of the goblins oh, get rid God. of the vampires i got him out i got him okay we're good we're good but what i was gonna say my, my, my good friend missouri senator josh hawley he told me that dayton in this game against st joseph's that they lost to by by god over 10 points that it was actually Antifa wearing Dayton Flyers jerseys. Do, do, can, can you can you tell me something about this, Tully? It's true. It is true. Really? We have Antifa imposters wearing the jerseys. Oh no! What what, what can we do about this? We're, we're going into St. Bonaventure. We have to plant more Antifa scum. We have to plant Antifa scum in Olean, New York. So it's going to be two Antifa teams playing each other. Uh, I didn't think that part through. Oh well. All right, let's, let's, we're going to our my pillow commercials now. Uh, uh, you've, you've been watching One Day at News Network, SPM for and Friends, episode twenty-five. Oh, the, uh, oh, Welcome everyone to episode 25 of SB Unfurled and Friends. Will Von X here with SB Unfurled coming to you less than 30 minutes after the Bonnies pull out a huge win at Davidson. It looked very dicey, Big almost win. blew a 14 point lead, but they held on at the end. 
What a performance in the final two minutes. I was pacing around all game, all day, really. Just uh, I didn't feel too great about this one. Luckily, our defense was there all game, and luckily we got off to a big lead in that first half going into the break, 39-28 advantage um, because the offense did get a little stagnant there in the second half, um, and by a little bit, I mean a lot. But, um, <laughs> man, just to get out of a Davidson series 2-0, and and now we got two more games. Uh, back on top of the A-10, you, I mean, two very, very good uh, overall performances, I think. I always look at the stats almost every night, and I'm like, oh, Davidson, this will be a tough road game. If we lose it, it won't be that bad. Don't give mm-hmm. me those stats. Don't tell me about the net rankings or Q1 or whatever when it comes to the game actually being on because I was out for blood when we were up 14. I was like, ran yeah. it down their throats. I'm right. sick of Steph Curry. I think back to when we talked to our good friend now, Jack Gibbs. I'm like, Let's beat these guys by as much as we can. But Mm -hmm. it didn't happen. They came back. Davidson really stymied us on defense in terms of them guarding us. And it was was a tough challenge down the stretch. But at some point, you had to figure that Davidson was not just going to let us walk all over them for 80 minutes. They did a good job uh, adjusting to Welch in the second half. The sword of Damocles was as sharp as ever in the first oh, half. Oh, oh. Five threes. The sword of Damocles! Dominic Welch! 15 points going into the break. He came out and, I mean, some of that may have to do with just getting tired. He played probably the entire game. I don't know if he came out. I don't think so. But, I mean, he was just as good defensively as he was offensively. He probably had the toughest him and Lofton, the two toughest defensive assignments, especially after how good Lee was in the Riley Center. They trusted Welch to lock him down, and he did. Lee, very efficient, nine points. Every time he had the ball in the perimeter, Welch was just in his defensive stance right up in Lee's grill. And, you know, as much as he maybe cooled off in the second half, we needed him out there every defensive possession. Um, and, I mean, it's it's – great that these guys can go for 40 minutes because I was worried there going into the under four, we looked totally gas. And I was like, Oh God, chasing these Davidson shooters around all game finally caught up to us. If you told me before the game that young John Lee and Kellen Grady had a combined 11 points, which by the way, Grady only had two points. Yep. I I can't even, I would have to look up when the last time that happened to him, if that's even (laughs) happened to him in a 10 play before. But if you told yeah. me those two only had 11 points, I'd be like, yeah, the Bonnies are going to cruise. And that's kind of how it was. Breakovich kind of kept the, the Wildcats in the game for the first half. He ended up with 12 points. He had like eight early, I believe. But it was really Carter Collins. He was hitting. He was 4-5 from DP. Mm-hmm. He, had, he was a no-show on Sunday. Yeah. But on Wednesday, he was tremendous. And he's why they kind of got back into the game. They had a couple role players. Getting back to what you were saying about um, the bench and wondering how long Welch played. Welch, Lofton, and Holmes all played 40. We had six bench minutes. Not six bench points. We had zero bench points. We had six bench minutes. Ale had four. Creel and Shaw got in for a a cup of coffee there for a minute. That's like double our season average, I think. It might be. (laughs) I think all of our homework, not only just your homework and my homework, but all of our listeners... We got to start pull up, pulling up some of these Iron Man five yeah. box scores and see how many bench minutes they were playing. Because this, like, you can't get much less than six minutes. And 
we're going to be playing a pesky GW team and Dayton is <laughs> Dayton yeah. is the the mystery box cuz they're we're recording this right during the St. Joe's Dayton game and St. Joe's was out to a huge 16 point halftime lead but now it's only 5. We're going to kind of keep our eye on this while we're recording right now but still Dayton beat St. Louis by a lot at home so Dayton could do anything to us and that's good or bad. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think maybe they just get up more for that rivalry with St. Louis. I don't know, uh, going into, uh, Hawk Hill, they, you would think that they would be, you know, dominating the way they looked. I watched them Friday. They looked phenomenal. Um, and that's right around when our new schedule came out. And when it came out, we were all kind of like, what the hell is the conference doing? They have a chance to maybe stack the deck a little bit in, uh, our favor because we are on the bubble, but it was, back-to-back with Davidson, then a home trap game, and then a day's rest, and then we get Dayton after a day's rest. We can't um, we can't complain too much about this uh, GW game getting scheduled because while no, it will yeah. be a lot of stress, if even if right now we're both tied at 10-3 and three with VCU in the conference, we're going to yep. have one more game than VCU. So right. ultimately, if a, if a GW home game keeps us from winning the A-10 regular season title. Do we really deserve the regular season yeah. title? <laughs> and and I, I was telling you, I wanted one of those, one of those, um, you know, GW, Fordham, St. Joe's types. Um, I know a lot of people probably wanted three top tier teams, but I, when you're, when you're in a season where the win percentage is determining your seed, and maybe if you win the regular season title, you want some of those games to pad your win percentage, especially after we just had Fordham canceled. We had St. Joe's canceled. We had GW and Mason canceled. So I, I was happy that we got GW. I wasn't very happy that they had Dayton playing us two days later. Um, and I can't imagine our athletic department was either. And maybe that is the reason yeah. why I ended up getting moved from Sunday to Monday, giving us another day of rest. Yeah. But getting back to Davidson a little bit here to break down because we kind of got two. We only thought we were going to talk about one Davidson game and now we had two to talk yeah. about. What what were the biggest differences that you saw between the first and the second games? Because I think Davidson did a much better job at attacking the rim in this second game. Yeah, I think they did. And McKillop said going into this game that he wanted to attack more. I mean, they were launching in the first game. They shot 37 threes, I believe. Um, and that was a season high, not counting, you know, that D3 team that they that they scheduled. Um, but today they shot they still shot 28 threes, only hit eight of them. Um, I do think they were trying to attack more. And I was very happy. It was a pretty clean game as far as fouls gold fouls went. Um there was no real foul trouble that we had to worry about the last few games. It seems, it seemed like we, you know, had to kind of patch together some lineups because if it was Holmes or Oshun with foul trouble um, today, there wasn't any of that. So Oshun only taking two shots was a lot different. I think he was, he was getting hammered all game down low. It was a physical game for him, but uh, I do think Davidson was attacking a little bit more, but I mean, I didn't see too much, difference from the first game i mean we hit 11 threes in both we played phenomenal defense in both we um were just running our offense they were both very slow paced similar games i don't think there was too big of a difference these have to be like the two fastest games i can remember especially the sunday game because if you're familiar with how a10 basketball tv scheduling works normally each game has a two-hour time slot nbc yeah. sports was done on sunday with like 
17 minutes left before 530. And they're just like, well, we're just going to interview Schmidt for like five minutes. And then they're like, well, we're still kind of killing some more time before we start talking about these hockey games out in Lake Tahoe. <laughs> so it was just odd. But like that kind of speaks to how the the tempo of the game was. They, right. they were both relatively clean games on both ends. I don't think either team exactly was getting away with some VCU-esque um, <laughs> fouling. But I think it was very smooth. I think both teams play a similar tempo, even if it's not necessarily a similar strategy. Mm-hmm. Although I think, especially the second game, Schmidt kind of doubled down on the strategy of basically trying to beat Davidson at their own game. And it worked because our lack of size was an advantage since our faster guys at the three and four were able to get open in the corner. St. Bonaventure basketball. Just when you think you have the answers, we change the question. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, this has been a really bad three point shooting team up until a couple days ago. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And, no, and, it wasn't. No, but, we just had some, we just had some poor games and we yeah. stuck them out. No, nah, no, don't, don't three bid league me. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you guys. I, I didn't. I didn't listen to that. Was that with Rothstein? <laughs> um, no, not Rothstein. But one uh, of the two was like was forgetting. They forgot Welch was a three point shooter. Oh, like, oh yeah, Holmes is pretty good. They got Kyle a good Austin's reminder. Kind of turning it on a little bit now, and, and they're like, oh yeah, by the way, Welch. And I'm like, Welch yeah. is forty percent on the season, and of course, in the first half, he just lit Belk Arena on fire. Oh, which oh was, yeah, which was wonderful to see. Cooled down a little bit. Holmes has like nine. 10 threes in the last couple games. I mean, he didn't yeah. play well at all against VCU. We know Bluffton has struggled from deep. He is now finding his stroke. So we got three guys who are, you know, finding their stroke from deep. And we talked all season. It seemed like it was one guy that would, if that, one guy at most that would be on. And we were just like, if two or three guys can get going from deep with our defense, this team should, could be the best team in the league. Um, and that was, you know, very, very early in the in the conference season. Yeah, and what I enjoy the most about Holmes is not only can he make a three, but he can also create a three, whereas Welch is usually getting a catch-and-shoot or a catch-one-dribble shoot. Holmes can take the ball off of, like, the three-man weave on the corner and can, you know, make a couple drives, little, do a little step back and create his own shot as opposed yeah. to Welch. But now the question I really want to get into is, do we actually have four three-point shooters? Because if you remember back to our St. Louis pod, I'm not a huge fan of the whole, like the moral victory and defeat thing. But I said one of the bright spots when we lost to St. Louis, that's when Jalen Attaway hit his first two threes. And who hit the game-winning three tonight? Yeah, Jalen Attaway. And it was on the same type of pass, yeah, in the corner, where throughout the game, he was very hesitant with taking the shot. He missed his, he missed like the very first shot of the game from three and then every time he would get a wide open three he would just kind of like do a pump fake that was clearly faking nobody yeah but then finally in the last minute or so of the game he gets that wide open shot for the corner three and sinks it nothing but net beautiful shot and maybe it's not where he's going to be the next welch or holmes but maybe with a shot like that he gets more confidence and is willing to take some of those open shots that are given to him as the fourth option from the perimeter. And Davidson was backed way off of him. Sam Menenga was begging him to shoot. And, you know, we've seen Adaway be so patient, one of the most patient, selective players that I've seen here. And that's why his effective field goal percentage is like tops in the nation almost. Um, he's very selective. He's a smart player. He knows his strengths and he knows 
his weaknesses or, you know, knows how to get himself into position to find a higher percentage shot. Um, so if, you know, if he can make defenses honest and have to come out and play him on the perimeter, that's going to make him more dangerous because he is good at that pump fake at the three point line and then driving with that little gliding mini sky hook. Um, that's been, that's been really good for him or faking the sky hook, turning around and taking a little, turnaround uh fadeaway jumper so you know if he can start hitting one or two of these a game that's going to make defenses have to come out and and be honest with him and he's going to blow by some of the fours in this league that's all you need you don't need him to be hitting shots like welch or or holmes you don't need him to be that but you need him to be able to step out and be a stretch four because that keeps the defense honest especially when he's being guarded by taller guys which you've seen in this Davidson game or these two Davidson games really you saw that the threes and the fours for Davidson were kind of slow getting out and closing out Bochi Odom was a huge mismatch for us guarding Welch and that's why Welch really went off in the first half and that's something that we'll have to try to exploit in future matchups with other teams we may play Davidson again that's why I haven't made any sweep jokes because I wouldn't be surprised if we see Davidson again. They may be the four seed. I don't know how this ranking stuff is going to go in the A-10 with seeding. All I know is if we win the next two games, we're the one seed. So other than that, like, wake me up on Tuesday at this point for that. But we could see Davidson again, or we could see another similar team with a tall guy out like a a Hyung Jun Lee or whoever Mm -hmm. that could be a mismatch for Welch. And that's that's something that we can definitely key up on and exploit again. And I think that's kind of why... Schmidt changed up the game plan for these two games. Yeah, I think so. Davidson's maybe the tallest team in the league. We talked about it on our our last episode, how big they are, even from the, you know, two, three, four, all the way up to the five. Breakovich is an inch taller than Oshun even. Yeah, yeah, he is. And Menenga's a big guy, 6'9", I think. Uh, Nice. Lee is 6'7". So, in Bochi Edom's a true four, he's a big man. So him trying to chase Welcher on the perimeter, it was it was great that we really exploited that and took advantage. And that's what's so good about Lofton too. Like people are just gonna look at this box score for Lofton and be like, Well, he was three of thirteen, inefficient, seven points. They're not gonna remember that he's the guy who creates this stuff off off screens and he he's the one who finds Welch in these positions and homes in good positions. He puts our hot hands in the best position to win. And not only that, meanwhile, on the other end, he's holding an all-conference player to two points on zero of five threes and one yeah. of seven. Like he's he's running our offense for 40 minutes and he's, you know, distributing beautifully and he's he's locking down great players on the defensive end. I mean, Young Jun Lee scares me more than Kellen Grady right now. I think it's all reputation for Grady. Grady's still a really great player, don't get me wrong, but I still mm-hmm. think I think Young Jun Lee is their number one player personally. But as we look at the final 10 minutes or so of the second game, what do you really think was the cause of our kind of collapse? Do you think it's as simple as just kind of being gassed? Because I didn't have the same vibe from the team as I had towards the end of the St. Louis game where they were clearly wiped out, hands on knees, stuff like that. But yeah. I think I think that mattered when it came to like somebody like Holmes trying to close out on Carter Collins. I'm not sure exactly. Like I it's easy to just say, Oh, our guys were tired. I I think when it got down to a couple minutes left, they absolutely were. But for that first I mean, that first 
15 minutes, it was still pretty bad. They shouldn't have been too tired at that point. Um, I just credit Davidson by taking mainly Welch uh, out of our offensive game plan. I'm McKillop's obviously one of the great coaches in college basketball. He's going to make adjustments if he's down 11 at the half. Um, They're not going to just stick with their same game plan, come out and show us some different looks. So I don't know. I think it was just, you know, our shots weren't falling. It could have been as simple as that. There didn't seem to be as much of a rhythm in our offense. And I, I think Davidson we made clear what mismatches we were going to exploit and Davidson made sure not to put any more, you know, combinations out there and lineups that could cause mismatches. I think they just kind of matched up better with us in the second half. I don't know what the total was, but neither of these teams are interested in hitting the over, which is mm-hmm. kind of surprising when you think about Davidson, but the, they yeah. play tough defense. And so the Bonnies I'm looking through a little bit, just skimming through the second half kind of game flow. And it was 46, 32 when Holmes made a jumper about 17 ago. And then after that, you got a Carter Collins jumper, Carter Collins three, Breakovich dunk, Breakovich layup, like in four straight possessions. Mm-hmm. And that cut it right down to a five-point lead for oh, us. Yeah. And so right then and there, it's just a tight game from, from that standpoint. I don't think Davidson actually ever took the lead back from us in the second half, but they did tie it up for sure at 53, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but it's something we do still have to account for, I think. I, I know we're kind of just speaking on deaf ears, and this is what Schmidt's going to be doing. And mm-hmm. it's honestly probably the season to be doing this, considering what our schedule is like. And we can get into the future schedule when we talk about the next games. But somebody ha- off the bench has to do something because Holmes was on a collision, and I was worried. I didn't know. I didn't oh, see yeah. the collision. Remember, they went into the under-12 yeah. timeout, and I'm like, what? what is going on with Holmes? Is he going to be okay? And he was fine. But what I'm saying is, whether it's foul trouble or, God forbid, injuries, you can't just count on the same five guys to be running out there 40 minutes a night. As much as awesome as all five of them are, and any of the five can take off because yeah. we didn't even need Oshun tonight with one, being one for two. But that, I think at some point, something's got something's to gotta break there on the bench. I was happy to see Schmidt give Oshun a breather with like 842 left in the first half. I wish this was the rotation every game where he would get a minute on the back end and a minute on the front end of these media timeouts, it ends up, you know, he's only out, he'll only be on the bench for maybe a minute or two of game time, but in real time, he's getting like 10, you know, eight, 10 minutes of rest. Right. And that can really pay dividends with a a big man like that. Uh, So, you know, Shaw, I've been pleasantly surprised with him for stretches this season. Some days he looks like he can absolutely come in and be a formidable backup big man. And this is going all the way back, even before Peasy. it seems like when our backup bigs come in, the first possession on offense, they get called for an offensive uh, illegal screen. It, ha- it happens so much and yeah. it happened again today. <laughs> and, you know, if Vasquez comes in and misses his first shot, it's it's so tough, and we've talked about this, to get into a rhythm if you're only playing spot minutes. Hey, guys, it's me. It's John Rothstein. I'm on the Upper West Side of Manhattan right now. I'm having wings at Bar Coastal. My more with less tweets, I, I really don't mean to offend anybody, really. Uh, my main priority when I write those tweets is uh, to sell some T-shirts. By the way, St. Joe's up 82-69 right now. Wait, you have 82 because... I, I got an 8769. Oh, I am behind. <laughs> You're a little behind. So St. Joe's is up 8769 on Dayton. We will certainly be seeing 
uh, Anthony Hopkins on our timeline soon. I am I am worried about, and I was hoping that. <laughs> Do you know who I am, Anthony Grant? <laughs> that was good. I haven't even seen the movie. I just know the clip. <laughs> yeah. I oh man, this is this just. It isn't great. We want to date and to move up to that quad two. I am worried about that. And, you know, they're a really dangerous team. Could easily end up being a, a quad three loss if we don't take care of business there. Now they're, I mean, losing yeah, to St. Joe's is just, it's. it's they're going to plummet after yeah, this Yeah, they're going to plummet. They are. Yep. O- ODNN is going to be pretty upset about that. But before we get into Dayton, we can't look away. From GW, George Washington, Mayhem will finally be in the Riley Center on Friday night. We've got a double header for Friday 10. The best game, of course, is the Bonnies and GW. GW, we made fun of them. We talked about this when Ryan Paleo came on when we were supposed to play them back in January, but the game got canceled because of COVID pause by them. GW has really turned it around since... Jameer Nelson, and they had a couple other transfers. Maceo Jack. Right now, we're looking at the score live. You know, it's it's great, wonderful to be doing live podcasting on a podcast that's not even going to air until the next morning. <laughs> but it's 51-50 George Mason. My point is that George Washington has been hanging around. They had a 13-point first-half lead, yeah, and they beat Rhode Island. So they clearly have a pulse. And this team, you know, well-rested with, you know, I know it's COVID rest, so it's a little – little different kind of rest but this team is they're they're tricky so what are you looking for in this matchup they are tricky and it's that rest versus rust thing uh i watched that whole rhode island george washington game and rhode island is a team that one of those teams in this conference kind of like lasalle too it seems like they only show up when they're playing a top tier team and they're capable of beating these top teams and then i mean this is another way of saying coaching i mean you they just don't get up for these lower tier games at this point in the season if there's not much to play for and that kind of bit them in the ass against gw but credit gw i mean james bishop and jameson battle combine for 57 point no i'm sorry uh Let's see. Bishop had 28, Battle had 26. Yeah. Um, and those two are those two are really good players. There is a huge drop off after that. I think with a few well, a day to game plan, we should be able to um lock at least one of them down. I don't think we're gonna let both of them go off, but even if they do, there isn't much else on GW. So our teams no. have been very good when we have to just focus on one or two guys i think i thought we were pretty good against uh you know a a bones highland type he was kind of inefficient he kind of padded his stats at the end at the free throw line but when we have teams that aren't super well balanced i think we usually game plan very very well for them and the way this team this bonnet team has looked the last two games defensively i I'm not too worried. I probably should be. This this would be a season crushing loss. Yeah, <laughs> and obviously, just don't they, say you're not worried. Yeah. Uh, well, I <laughs> and I, I said I wasn't worried about LaSalle too. And I mean, just because it's in the Riley Center, G, you know, GW have been waiting for a month to get back and finally play. They were at home. I think now that they've gotten back and tasted it, and now they have to come to the Riley Center. It, I think if we can, you know, get out to an early lead. We can kind of, uh, I think we can run away with this one. Um, yeah, I'll take a one point win, but you know, I, I I'm yeah. confident. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. They will be coming in 
on a tough stretch. They'll, they're playing the same as us. They played on Sunday and they played on Wednesday. Of course, they played Rhode Island and George Mason and not Davidson twice. Yeah. But they are coming from a road game at George Mason to traveling up to Olean. Jameson Battle and James Bishop, they're very good. I would still rather have Kyle Lofton and Attaway in their positions. I think oh, we're going to yeah. I mentioned it in our preview of the game that never happened last month. I think we're going to see a lot of Oshun in this game because Oshun in his matchups against George Washington mm-hmm. has been tremendous. And I think they are going to especially use Oshun in the offense because guys like Hunter Dean and Chase Parr are just not up to Oshun's caliber. No, he can definitely out physical them and, you know, God help those guys trying to shoot over him on defense and not to mention, Oshun was barely used against Davidson because it, it just wasn't the right matchup with the way we were getting our wings open. I think mm-hmm. you will see way more Oshun against GW. Oshun has been the colonial killer his entire <laughs> career here at Bonas. Um, and GW's makeup as a team isn't all that much different than it was t- last year or two years ago. Uh, so I, yeah, fully agree. Not much more to add other than oh, this is Oshun's chance after only taking two shots against Davidson to really kind of impose his will and get back to looking like he did against, you know, Akron or some of the other times that we've seen him really take, you know, 10, 11 shots, five dunks, something like that. I wanted to pull up the stat log for what Oshun has done against GW just because, Hey, yeah. This is Bonnie's basketball. We got to fill some time. So in 40 minutes in his freshman year, 18.16 rebounds, eight of nine shooting. (laughs) (laughs) And then let's see what he did last year. 36 minutes, eight of 11 shooting, 16 points and 17 boards. Mm. That was at the home game. And then the game at GW, 20 points, nine boards, 36 minutes. So, we're talking 2016, 18. Yeah, he's averaging 18 points a game against them in three games. I expect Oshun to eat on Friday. Me too. And hopefully he played 39 minutes. Hopefully Shaw can get in there and get some minutes because I trust Jalen Shaw against some of their big guys. So hopefully yeah. Oshun doesn't have to play 40. But I think I think that's the game game plan. That's all. That's all we can really say. And that, and just don't blow it against these guys because a Q four <laughs> loss that would be nuclear. And I think yeah. if we maybe Dayton, if we did lose to Dayton, we could salvage it in the A ten tournament. Let's right. not play the game with either one of them. And especially, but GW, I think GW will be nuclear. This team controls its own destiny by way of playing one more game than VCU. We play fifteen games. They play fourteen. Uh, so if we can get up to 13 and three, I believe it would be, um, no, sorry, 12 and three, and And they, they would, could only get up to 11 and three. Um, so we control our own destiny. Uh, and I think having the A10 regular season championship outright would be a major, major bargaining piece. And even a tiebreaker with some of the middling P5 teams that might be on the bubble. And it's not bad to have in your back pocket either if something goes haywire and the A10 tournament ends up somehow getting canceled. Not impossible. Um, You know, unlikely. We don't know, but it's something to honestly consider. Yeah, unlikely, but not impossible at all. It's good to have in your back pocket um, in case that were to happen. But if we can take care of GW, 
I don't want to I I don't want to say Dayton is playing with house money, but I think Dayton becomes more house money than must win. And if we, you know, a lot will be dictated as well by VCU versus Davidson. Yeah. By the way, as if I need to give Bonnie Sands another reason not to root for VCU. <laughs> yeah. If we beat GW and they lose to Davidson, I believe we already clinched the title. Yes, correct. Because and VCU they played... would be ten and four, we would be eleven and three. Yeah. And so the worst we would be is eleven and four. So I, that's if you need any other reason to root against VCU on Saturday, yep. there you go. They play uh, Davidson, VCU Davidson, Saturday at 2 o'clock p.m. on ESPN. So we'll get Bonnie's action Friday, a lot of A-10 action Saturday. That is and, and, and not just A-10, but a ton of bubble action Saturday that's yeah. going to be relevant to us. And then, we, uh, and then we'll play Monday. Be sure to follow. SB Unfurled on Twitter because you put out some great graphics, not only about the bubble, but what teams you need to be rooting for every day. Lofton settles for the deep three. Wow. And it's... <laughs> How about that? The junior left me off the first team. Take that. What a bucket with three seconds to go. But let's get into the final matchup of the regular season. I think, right? If these games still happen, I think as much as we can be guaranteed about this, Dayton, I don't know what to say about these guys right now because as we've been recording, they've been up and down with St. Joe's. They're now about to, there's, it's 97 82 with 55 seconds left. So I'm going to assume St. Joe's wins this game. Unbelievable. But Dayton just beat. St. Louis by what, 15? And now they lose by 15 to St. Joe's, who is right. the greatest 3-14 and 14 team in NCAA <laughs> history now. What what do we make of them? Because I've honestly thought that Dayton all season has been a great matchup for us. I think they're basically just a slightly worse version of us, except you know maybe Jalen Crutcher's slightly better than Kyle Lofton. But when they got Chapman back and then they beat St. Louis, I'm yeah. thinking they're going to be a tough team. Are they one of the top three top four best teams yeah in the uh a10 and then they um i haven't really watched much of this game because the first half was during the bonnie's game and the second half has been during our pod so it's been on but i haven't really been focusing but they um they put a turn in the punch bowl at hawk hill that's for sure people friday is as good as they looked were saying this is a team that could be a bid stealer um getting a top four wasn't out of the question it wasn't likely but if they were to somehow get to championship Sunday, it would have been at home and they are yeah. very, very tough at home, but this team has lost to LaSalle. They lost to Fordham and now they're about to lose the St. Joe's three of probably the four worst teams in the league, but they also have wins against Davidson. They beat St. Louis twice. Uh, they beat Mississippi and Mississippi state who aren't bad teams. So, I mean, this is just uh, when people talk about the A-10, you know, the the great teams aren't always in the A-10 good enough to beat the lower tier teams. And then there's always these teams in the middle that can beat the top tier or lose to the bottom tier at any given night. And this is just a classic Jekyll and Hyde team. I have no clue. Uh, I thought <laughs> I had a kind of a good grip on maybe who they are now. And this is just throwing everything for a loop. So who knows who the hell is going to show up uh, Monday, March 1st in the Riley Center. Yeah, I have no clue. I'm looking at their analytics just to kind of figure out what's going on. I mean, some of these are going to probably fall 
drop like a rock after this game. But on Ken Palm, I mean, there's a lot of green. They, they have a good offense, and they're pretty good at uh, defending the three. They're top 40 in the country, at least. You know, maybe. Yeah. I don't know if uh, <laughs> I don't know if if Ryan Daly drained 10 threes on them in this game, but they're still a pretty tough defensive team from three. I don't think they have a lot of bench, though. I don't think they have a huge bench. They got Jalen Crutcher, obviously. Ibby Watson, one of the better uh, two guards. Mustafa Amzil is a guy many people who have not watched Dayton may not yeah. have known, but he's a very good freshman. Yeah, uh, Might be one of the freshman of the year candidates. They got Jordy Shamanga, who is a bigger guy than Oshun. He's 278, 278 pounds, but definitely not as skilled as Oshun. So if Oshun can pull him out a little bit, I'm sure mm. there could be some foul trouble there by Jordy Shamanga. I, I, with the loss of guys like Chase Johnson, they don't... and. Uh, Soko, they don't have a huge bench. So I think that's one thing that we don't have to worry about like we had to worry about against Davidson and St. Louis and VCU where they have 10 players that can go. These guys kind of yeah. really have like six or seven. They do. And Amzel is, he is a really good player. He could provide a bit of a mismatch issue for us. Um, kind of a, a stretch four type player. He's able to shoot that long range shot. He's really smart. He is a freshman, but I think he has quite a bit of experience overseas. Um, yeah. Not not really a freshman, kind of like you know when Toppin came in as a freshman, he was like 20 or 21, had a lot of experience. I'll have to take a look at this St. Joe's game because this is just insane. St. <laughs> Joe's offense is horrible, and they have now scored – 97 points against Dayton. Dayton's giving up 97 points against St. Joe's. Uh, then, you know, getting Chapman back, one of the best defenders in the league, isn't, I guess, all I thought it was. So this is very, very strange. We're going to have to look more into this. But as far as Dayton, I mean, their fans say, let Crutcher take all the shots. I mean, he's Let's just Let's just get guy. a little live reaction to some of these stats. Taylor Funk, Uh-oh. 36 points. Wow. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Ryan Daly was 25 points, 9 and 19. Both <sighs> Funk and Daly were 5 of 11 from 3. Man, and then, uh, Char- uh, say Charlie Brown, Cameron Brown, Charlie Brown. God, how long ago was that? Yeah. <laughs> Cameron Brown had 18 points. And uh, Jordan Hall, who's kind of been taken <laughs> off a little bit, he had 16. I... <laughs> I, I didn't watch the game. I don't, I don't know how to tell you that they lost 97-84, but <laughs> I would Man. like to really think that we should be able to handle a team that can not can barely keep St. Joe's under 100. Giving up 90, what was it, 97? 97, 97-84. Giving up 97 points to St. Joe's in a 40-minute game might be the worst defensive performance in the entire country this entire year. St. Joe's is a little interesting, though, because they have a little Washington Wizards in them. Like, if you watch the NBA a lot, sometimes the Washington Wizards will score 140 points and still lose. Like, yeah, St. Joe's can sometimes do that to teams. Like, they've done that to, like, UConn and Florida, I remember, last season. I don't know if maybe that, you know, Dayton's obviously not getting an at-large. They weren't getting one before this. Um if that St. Louis game on national TV against a rival, trying to knock their rival off the bubble, if that was kind of like their championship this year, it sucks to say because of what happened to them last year, but that was maybe their Super Bowl type game. And now it's yeah. kind of like, what, I mean, what do we have to look forward to? It, you know, we'll show up in the A10 tournament and try to go on a run, but we're not trying to, to boost the tournament resume here. What we're in, you know, we're in 
Hawk Hill in Philadelphia, and we're just not really into it. Hopefully that happens in the Riley Center. I have no idea. They they could come in and play like they did against St. Louis, or they could come in and have us score 90 points against them. Who knows? By the way, thoughts and prayers to Fordham because they now have officially fallen back down to 14th place with that St. Joe's win oh because of the win percentage. And the, that's what sucks is like Fordham's not playing again. So no. Fordham's now, I think, officially locked in, even if St. Joe's loses to Richmond, which they, they yeah. probably should. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to have we'll, we'll take a look at how this plays out, but you know, Dayton's one of those middle teams that can beat a top team like us and they can drop to St. Joe's and we we will know that day if a win gives us the, the regular season title or if we already have it. Either way, we're playing hopefully as long as we take care of GW, either way we're playing for our our at-large chances. And either way, we got to show up and it I haven't seen anything this year that makes me think that this team is ready to step on a landmine and I said a month <laughs> or so ago that you know this team is somewhat landmine proof because yeah. uh sorry if you're gonna play this back in a week and I'm gonna be shaking my head then so be it but this team more <laughs> so than other teams kind of is just because of how good our defense is our experience our patience, the coaching, everything, um, you know, it, it would take a really, really, really bad offensive performance for us to drop a stinker against a team like GW. I agree with everything you say logically, but then I go from last year's loss at LaSalle all the way back to losing to Arkansas State with Andrew mm-hmm. Nicholson at home. And I would not be surprised if we somehow lost to GW on Friday. Like it's just it's just wired in us, unfortunately. But I really want to hone into everybody. Have faith. I know we got screwed in 2016. The scars are still there, but mm. we have a very good resume this year. Yeah. As long as we get through these next two games, it would be stunning for us to miss the NCAA tournament. We may they may I was gonna say Dayton, but we may go to Bloomington or Purdue, but we I would be stunned if we win the regular season title at 12 and three and still miss the NCAA tournament, even if we were to yeah. lose to Duquesne or whoever in, in Richmond. And I'm sure in our next episode or maybe the one after that, we'll be getting in a lot more to this tournament talk. But I will say just for now, all I'm seeing is I don't trust the committee. I don't trust the committee. And people are still like PTSD from 2016. You have to realize that's a whole different committee. It was an entirely different season, an entirely different team, an entirely different bubble. We had a completely different resume. That team lost at home to Hofstra. They lost to Siena, who was really bad. They lost to Duquesne, who was even worse. And they lost to LaSalle, who was worse than all of those teams. Those are four really, really bad losses. I mean, Rhodey's fallen off the face of the earth, and there's still only a Q2 quadrant two loss. Comfortable Q2. And they're, they're not, not going to be Q3. No, they're not. They're they're still top 100 net, barely, but they're not going to be Q3. They're, that's our worst loss right now. This team has no bad losses, and we have wins almost as good or as good as that team did. You know, you remember sweeping that St. Joe's team who also came in first with DeAndre Bembry. Posley had like 47 in Rochester. And we won in Dayton, which I just streamed the other night. You remember that game, of course, after the the LaSalle game. We thought that got us back on the bubble. But those losses were just too much 
for the committee to overlook. Now, Tulsa didn't deserve to get in either, and I thought we did deserve to get in just because of what the bubble looked like. But this year, every year is a completely different set of circumstances. So you can't just make a blanket statement, I don't trust the committee. Um, I'm hopeful because McGlade, our A-10 commissioner, is on the committee this year. Um, And, you know, St. Louis falling off and Richmond falling off does, in the grand scheme of things, help us. If if this is a multi-bid league in the eyes of the committee, than it is VCU and Bonas. Yeah, we've got a lot of moving pieces here in this last bit of the season. Didn't have too much, you know, zany hijinks that you might be used to in this episode, but there's a lot of meat in this basketball season to get to. And yeah. as much as fun as I love having when we can have it, I mean, this is this is a big time right now. This is this is when this is when it's all decided in these next ten to fourteen days, however mm. however long it goes. Actually, really twenty one if you really want to yeah. think about the. Dayton. I mean, we can't really get into many A10 scenarios because of how just ridiculous it is with the winning percentages and everything. But mm-hmm. all you need to know is if we win the next two games, number one seed, number one overall seed in the A10 tournament. Yep. And I think if we were to do that, you know, knock on wood here, I think if that were to happen, I, th- I think we might have a little treat for you guys on the next podcast, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, and I will say, <laughs> worrying about GW and worrying about even Davidson, you know, I was so nervous all day the past couple days. Going into every single game at this point going forward is going to be so, so nerve-wracking because our margin of error as the team that we have with a little bit of a shorter season, we've only played 15 games, our margin of error is smaller than a lot of other teams on the bubble. So that makes everything so much more nerve wracking. And then on top of that, I don't know about you, but I find myself still worrying about that single basketball tweet on the baseline. Yeah. Um, throwing everything. Yep. Haywire. That's just a whole nother element that you have to worry about. And this season as great as it's been and as fun as it's been since we returned. There's still so many, you know, it's, it feels like we're walking a tightrope here now to a, to a tournament appearance. Yeah, but fortunately it seems like the pauses have really diminished across the country. And what ultimately matters with the resume is not having a bad home loss, especially so we can avoid those two on Friday and Monday. And I think the committee would be a little more forgiving of a little hiccup at a neutral site in down in Richmond. But yeah. thank you all so much for joining us here on SV Unfurled episode 25, the last podcast episode of the regular season, because the next time we'll be talking about the Atlantic 10 tournament down in Richmond. Hopefully we're talking about an Atlantic 10 regular season title for your St. Bonaventure Bonnies. It would be the first outright title in school history. We split in 2016, but we have never won outright in the A-10, so that would be historic. And we may have a little historic surprise for you if that happens. Let's knock on wood again here. Let's not jinx it, but let's make it happen, guys. Thank you all so much for listening to us. Be sure, if you haven't followed us yet, at X at SBUnfurled on Twitter. Check out your favorite podcast platforms. We got basically all of them. If we don't have them, let us know. Thank you all so much for joining us. Have a good day. Yeah.